welcome to the exhaust notes podcast what is good everyone welcome to the exhaust notes podcast i think this is your new favorite f1 podcast even if we don't upload as frequently as we once did we are back on track we're, we're just considering this our, our, our uh you know this last month or so uh or two just a a we took our summer break early. What yeah, do you want just, from us? We just We're not getting excited paid. about summer. You know, yeah. we just this, need to this, take some time. And here's the thing. Formula One, they joined us because that Italy race didn't happen. And that flooding, that wasn't rain. That was the tears of our audience that were just saddened by the fact <laughs> that it's been nearly two months before we could give you our hot takes, our weirdness, our only fans such as Curry in a hurry still, unclaimed, <laughs> unverified, unadulterated. Todd, stop me from myself. How have you been? I've I've been good. As I said, I've just been screaming into the void. Or actually, I've just been screaming into our Discord. So thankfully, I have a place to do it. Uh, small plug, join the Discord. Come chat with us. Yeah, it, it does feel better when, especially in California, when we're on the West Coast, when you're awake at, you know, 4.30 or 5 in the morning on a Sunday. And literally, no, like, birds aren't even awake at that point, you know? So, like, you have, like, this... This place to go where people actually it feels like you're not completely insane work, waking up that early for a race. Yeah. Mm hmm. It used to be it used to be pretty. I used to fall on Twitter pretty heavily for that. But uh, Twitter's yeah, been a weird I, place. Let me ask you this question. So, um, Nick, is it? I'm making sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> and Toddsworth. I'm glad I could come up with yet another AKA for you. You guys are now the elder statesman in the regard of you were here pre Formula One's expansion into USA market. So you are not as ready for the appropriate timings of these races because I feel like they're a lot more friendlier to the American schedule now that Formula One has discovered America likes racing and cars that go vroom vroom. I mean, it's going to be yeah. interesting. Because, like, I do have a harder time watching races, like, midday or afternoon compared to, like, there's something cool about, like, just waking up, making coffee, and knowing that I'm getting to watch Formula One. No, I feel the same yeah, way. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the the perfect sport for a dad of young children because usually they're still sleeping at, like, 5 a.m. So I can just roll over and try not to make the iPad screen too bright and just watch it from the comfort of my bed. No, I was going to say as a premier league fan, we too shared a similar, dare I say birthright of watching these games very early in the morning. I know for a lot of people, they like to drink booze as they watch their teams early in the morning to justify their possible alcoholism as a sober butterfly that I am cool, I guess. But yeah, it, it's a very indie, like I was into the sport before you were, before it was broadcast at normal people hours. I don't want to be gatekeepy about all of the newfound American fandom, except for the fact and Nick just mentioned it, uh, like Twitter, especially formula. I mean, Twitter in, in itself has gotten into, it's, it's a weird place to be now, but like Formula One Twitter if you go to like the suggested for you like thread, mm -hmm. it's just people screaming at each other about Max versus Lewis. Like it's still, yeah. that's it. Yeah. There's like, and I have to say like Lewis's fan base is the worst 
because like everything is against Lewis. Like Lewis is against Lewis somehow in some fashion. Like it's it, it's insane. Yeah. But it, I, if if I could take anything away and be gatekeepy from new Formula One, I would take that away. I mean, I think that's talk? also part of the the you know it's part of the problem of like this new Twitter algorithm and this new approach, right? Like they send you the most triggering, like if you go look at your for you page, which is what it mostly defaults to open, you open that now, right? It used to be open your feed and I see my, you know, 500 people that I want to see. And now it's like, open, open the, open the app and you see, you know, a, a list of these are the 10 things that you need to know from, blah, 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 and some thread. And then there's like all the other like triggered, you know, back and forth that exist. And of course, like, you know, 20 Elon Musk tweets in that. And it's just like, to me, it's so hard to find like a good space to like have that conversation. And the hardest part about like, I love the discord. The hardest part about it is I love to have more people in discord to have these conversations during the races, right? Like, Sometimes the races are like we have gr not sometimes we always have great conversation around the races. But sometimes when people, especially because they're early races, if people wake up late, they don't want to be seeing what's happening if they're watching live a half hour behind or an hour behind or something like that. So, yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. But like I I'm with Todd, I definitely I think the more fans, the better, you know, for better or worse. Like I love seeing more fans in any sport. It just it makes it more interesting. I, I think somebody, I think maybe it was uh, MLP brought it up in the discord or maybe he brought it up on his Instagram recently about like how everything is like so over the top about fandoms now. And I actually like that about it. I, I, I totally understand where he's coming from, where it's like, you've got to line up for days to see Taylor Swift and buy merch and oh, the fanaticism. Yeah. Thing. And like, I, I get that. And that definitely sucks for people that are just fans that want to casually be fans like that's sneakers too, right? Like if you're not familiar with like sneaker history in the podcast, like I've been doing sneaker stuff and row it's on there with me and we've been doing a podcast for a number of years. And that that's the exact experience that, that sneakers has become for the last 10, 15 years for me is like, well, I just can't even get excited about buying new stuff. I'd just rather go find something that's sitting on the clearance rack and, and be happy about that. Which, you know, if I think about it, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but like, it's also like, I don't need more of them, you know, like I'd, I'd rather have more people telling their own stories and, and sharing their excitement. And I think that's where F1 is at right now, hopefully. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll just use that to transition into Todd's least favorite race of the year. Uh, many others in the discord agree, but like Monaco is my favorite. I, you can't really see it, but I've got a big Monaco poster on my wall right here. So like, I, I love the race. I still think that the solution is not getting rid of Monaco, but just making F1 cars smaller again. Like that's all I want. I mean, they should do that period, but I would not be against, and I know we're putting the car in front of the horse here, but I would not be against making an F or a Monaco spec car. Oh, that's interesting. If, if if they took like a formula, let's say like Formula Two car or some sort of other Delara chassis and made it specific for Monaco 
Because I don't know if you've ever watched F2 or any of the junior categories around Monaco. It's so much better racing because there's passing opportunities in so many more places. And I mean, like the, the cars are spec-ish in, in, in Formula 2. Um, but they could literally just make a spec chassis, spec components or whatever, whatever it needs to be. Throw your own engine in there and or whoever your engine supplier is, smaller car. Make even if they're going only 150 as opposed to 200 down the straights, like it's still going to be fast in Monaco because the, the city streets just aren't that big. That 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 idea gives me the perfect solution. We just make it a Hot Wheels race. <laughs> Hot Wheels supplies the engines, and Formula One becomes like a slot car track for Monaco. Let's bring in like 400 teams from America. Liberty Media can cash in on it. People just like <laughs> flicking their cars around the streets, down the hills. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I want, I do, I would love to see like a, maybe like what? The cars are about 18 feet long right now, I think, right? Uh, I read somewhere. No, it's 16 and a half, I think. So let's say we go with like, what's the difference? Two thirds the size. That's that's probably like that brings us back to what like early eighties maybe actually late eighties size wise. Not even. Have you seen like the two thousand eight Alpine compared to the twenty twenty two Alpine? That's like two thousand. That that's like two thirds the size. Wow. Yeah, I I think that's a that's an awesome solution. I also think that could be really interesting to like. For other tracks, you know, like, especially as we're getting to this, like the thing about Formula One this year, that's kind of like, I know I sound like a hater because I'm just saying, like, I don't want to see Max and Checo win all the time. But like the competitiveness in the midfield is really is really fun to watch. But on a lot of these tracks, there's not a whole lot of passing happening because of the like. DRS trains that we have and like just like a, it's like just a procession you know like there has been a lot of passing in, in some of the other other tracks but like Monaco specifically there was only what maybe a handful that weren't like yeah but that's always Monaco yeah like that's but if regardless the, of the regulation but I, I would love to see the data on like 2008 for instance if that's the size if we could get like a comparison of you know, what passing looked like. Let's just go, let's literally just look at all the passing that happened throughout the years in Monaco and go back to that size and like make that the way that they approach it. Yeah. Before we get I, any, I, I, hold on. I was just going to say, before we get any further, do we want to talk about how the race went just from a pure grid perspective? And then we can continue the chat. Yeah. All right. Fair let's enough. Let's run it. Let's do that. Run it off. I gotta clear my throat. I haven't done this in two months. Uh, at number one, Max Verstappen. Number two, Fernando Alonso. Number three, Esty Bestie on the podium. Esteban Ocon. Four, Lewis Hamilton. Five, George Russell. Six, Charles Leclerc. Seven, Pierre Gasly. Eight, Carlos Sainz. Nine, Lando Norris. Ten, Oscar Piastri. Eleven, Valtteri Bottas. Twelve, Nick DeVries. Thirteen, my arch nemesis, Joe Guan Yu. 14, Alex Albon. 15, Yuki Sonoda. 16, a very unlikely Sergio Perez. 17, Nico Hulkenberg. 18, Logan Private. 19, Kevin Magnuson. And 20, Lance Sunday Stroll. 
Gentlemen, thank you for that. Logan Private. Logan. I, I saw that on Twitter and I think somebody called him Corporal, but I was like, no, no, let's give him Private. He's made it to Formula <laughs> One. Yeah, I mean, the race itself was was actually really interesting and entertaining because of the rain, right? Like all the all the changes, you know, I was a little bummed. I thought I thought this was going to be Alonzo's first win. You know, I, I'm looking forward to that just because. I can't imagine that there's anybody that's had the same time between wins like he, this has to be like the longest time between wins in Formula One history whenever he does win again. But like, had he not he had he not made that first tire change? So he made a tire change, went to didn't go to intermediates, right? Wet. So he went to mediums, he again. went mediums again. And had he gone straight to intermediate is it intermediates or wets like there's two versions of the wets right intermediate is for like sprinkling rain and then full wets is what they almost never use because it causes too much spray yeah and had had he done that the first time he literally did what one lap maybe two after that i think one yeah and then went right back in and changed his tires again had he not done that it would have been really interesting because i i still think max would have had a better car but imagine if alonso was ahead it would have just gotten so intense at the end of that race. Yeah. I mean, the, the gap, I think, probably wouldn't have made that matter, right? Because he was out out in the lead going slowly, by his own words, uh, like 12 seconds out or something like that, which is a crazy gap for Monaco. Usually it's front runner sets the pace and then just keeps every, everyone else behind him. But I agree. It was as much as you think I hate Monaco. I don't hate Monaco. I hate that the cars don't fit on Monaco like we were talking about. Yeah. But um, this race is dependent. Like I said in the pre-show, this race is dependent on chaos. If it's just an incident free race, even if like P20 crashes into the wall, shout out Latifi. um, uh, It's not usually that that interesting of a race because like it's usually just like virtual safety car or safety car. They clean it up really quick because that the team there that does the marshalling is crazy experienced. Um, and they they just doesn't really matter. You don't really see somebody like dive off into the pits and gain a super big track position or whatever because it's such a short lap. But uh, I think it was a fantastic race. And even before the rain came out, it um had really interesting like tire strategy battle. Yeah. Like the first lap, I was really hopeful just like you for Alonzo's first win. Cause he started on the mediums and Max started on the hards. Yeah. Which is like what made like the tire differential made the whole race interesting because there was, it was like that down the field. And uh, they, everybody was like jockeying for a position and like, Oh, am I within the pit window or not? And even though Max was kind of off like a rock, like he was two seconds after two seconds out after what, like two or three laps, something crazy. Um, It was still interesting. It's like, Oh, can Alonzo like make these tires last and put Max in a tough spot and all that. But I think it was a great race and the TV direction. Can we talk, talk about, about it quickly? Talk about it. Talk about it. For the first year ever, Monaco lost its own contract or whatever. I'm guessing there was lots of money involved. But they had F1 TV do the TV direction 
Um, and granted, and Iron Trev called this out, but there were a few awkward shots of just billboards and stuff like that. But overall, camera angles were better. Following the race was better. The passes, although there weren't a ton, were better. Everything was better about that. So sh- that I'm finally saying something about something positive about <laughs> the TV direction. So now that we're on this train of positivity and you kind of alluded to it, give me your recipe for the perfect Monaco race, Todd, because you've kind of spoken about it in bits and pieces. But what is it equal? Like one part rain, one part great TV direction. Like what is the optimal Monaco racing layout for you? Or not even layout, just scenario. Well, the TV direction, you can't really... I know, I was being... Like, uh, okay, that can't be a part of the equation. Because, like, we're paying to watch a sport. It, they should just get it, right? They should just have that. Um, yeah, rain is always... I would say rain is a prerequisite for a good race. Think of all the famous races back in the, the 90s and the 2000s in Monaco. In a wet Monaco track, there's been a ton of... Uh, great moments from that. So rain, it has to be rainy, but not too much rain. Like what was it last year or two years ago? When like there was like dumping rain and then like the starting lights broke and there was an hour delay. And then by the time they sent them out, it wasn't like they actually started the race. It like wasn't even wet tire weather anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So light sprinkle um, and uh, smaller cars. Going back to that. Give us a Monaco spec car. Okay. I mean, I do think that's probably the solution, right? There's not, I can't see formula one going to smaller cars. I I have no idea why the cars have to be so big. Like I, I just genuinely don't like the cars being that big. And this is coming from someone who's like massive sports car fan. Like, you know, those cars are insanely long and low to the ground but they also don't race on tight tracks, right? Like every track they race on has, well, they also race with different, different classes. So like if you're watching, you know, Le Mans, for instance, you have four different levels of, of you have four separate races happening at the same time that you have to compete with. So it's not like it, it, it poses different challenges you know, for the drivers. But I think that it's really interesting to think about, like if you did have a spec car for Monaco as someone who goes to Laguna Seca, you know, half a dozen times a year, like F1 could race at Laguna Seca again, if they did that, because it's, it it runs into the same problem, like a 16 foot, whatever length car, you know, plus you have too you don't have enough space for runoff at Laguna Seca. But like, I think if you had a smaller car, you're still not necessarily like, I don't know, like would the cars be, would they inherently be faster or slower because they're a different size? Not in a straight line. Yeah. Right. They, they won't generate as much downforce if they don't have the same surface area. Just yeah. Trying to badly act like I know what physics mean. Um, because science, but, yeah, but they wouldn't have this. They wouldn't be able. But Laguna Seca is a good example because any car runs there. Yeah, I think on a couple of the straights, their top speeds are like one sixty, one seventy, or like at least down the main straight, right? Yep. Um, and then that little back straight in the that double ninety degree before they go up the hill, 
they're hitting like 140, 150. Um, so that's still fast enough to produce good racing, right? And those cars are much, much smaller yeah. than current Formula One cars. I, I agree with you that they won't ever go to a spec car, but they, I mean, they even said it for the next round of regulations. Stefano Domenicali said that they're going to try to attempt to make the cars lighter and small. Well, he didn't say smaller, but he said more nimble. Mm -hmm. So that's like one of the biggest struggles, even going back to Monaco when it started, when the, the race started and the, like the last six or seven cars. So like P14 through P20 hit the, hit the chicane in, um, is that casino square? The little, the really tight chicane yep. in Monaco. Yeah. They literally were going like two miles an hour because they got all bunched up and those cars can't turn, especially at even lower speeds. Mm -hmm. So they like literally were like creeping around it. And you saw Lance Stroll try to send it around the outside and just get run, run into a wall, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they'll ever go to a spec car, but they could definitely, I think safety, right? If you're going 200 miles an hour, if you have more material around you and a longer crash runway, uh, areas, like it makes it safer, but with technology advancing, can they do something to make them smaller, lighter? I mean, you would think so, right? I don't know. Ro, what were your thoughts on, on Monaco? I was happy about the podium results, but the other thing that tickled me more than anything was watching George Russell have his meltdown and just trying to justify any way he could to get in front of Lewis Hamilton. First, it was the whole, <laughs> I've got 10 seconds. Let me pass him. And then, you know, we'll be like, help me help you. You're not Jerry Maguire, my guy. Like, that's the first thing I want to say. The other thing I found really interesting about it was even when they were talking to Fernando Alonso about this inkling of hope, he was the first one to shoot it down. And granted, maybe that's on brand for him because that's another seven points that he could have lost or could have won if he actually felt that it was raw for him. But it was very strange to see him slightly demure because if there's one thing Fernando Alonso is, it's not demure. And I know... Correct me if I'm wrong. One of his nicknames is the bullfighter, right? Well, Lance Stroll drove like a bull in a china shop. Like that dude was hunting for anything in movement. All I could think of is Predator, where you just see the thermal signature of the drivers. And it's like, okay, I see something. I'm going to go crash into it. Other than that, like, I don't want to be too much of an Esteban Ocon fanboy because I am an Esteban Ocon fanboy. But it was really interesting to me also to kind of watch him realize I can't go after Max. And I can't go after Fernando Alonso because my car's not there. I'm just going to do what now I feel is probably his greatest strength, which is hold people off. And maybe Monaco was a perfect one for him to do that because it is a track, like you guys have mentioned, ad nauseum about not being very pass friendly. But like, how impressive was his drive to you guys? Because I'm going to utilize this as an opportunity to give them in his flowers. 100% agree. Yeah. Esteban drove a fantastic race. Yep. And not only that, I think this goes to the other talking point that we've always had about Monaco, which is if you're going to watch Monaco, almost prioritize the quali more than the actual race itself because that's where the drama is. 
And yeah, fortunately, we didn't even talk about the qualifying. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah. let's use this opportunity because for me, the most memorable moments of this race were Ocon's lap in quality in Q3 because he almost had the perfect lap in the sense that there was nobody in front of him. And I think had he gotten bogged down like a traditional quality race, I don't think he gets that great of a lap. He doesn't get that high of positioning to start the race. And then obviously everybody's going to go gaga about Max's. Did he touch the wall? Did he not touch the wall? Q3 or sector three, because it was amazing, but it was also one of those things where if I remember correctly, his times for sector one and sector two weren't necessarily all that impressive. It's what made Q3 or sorry, I guess S3 and Q3 bingo uh, more opportunities to kind of just lavish praise on this man who's clearly is not going to put a foot wrong this season. And it's going to make me look like a genius by propelling Red Bull to 800 points in the constructor. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, like, I think there. I think that 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 was really interesting to to watch because even as good as Max is and as good as the Red Bull cars are this year, it was really impressive that he pulled that off, right? Like, I thought for sure Alonso was going to be on pole. Like, he was yeah. after the second sector, he was down over two tenths and he made up more than two tenths in in just the final sector which is crazy because it's the shortest sector and it's like two really slow corners or it's like right after the swimming pool and Mm -hmm. yeah then that last little double double right-hander to go back down the the main straight um not rascals right is it rascals is it no I don't know. Maybe you're right. Whatever. The final sector. Um, But like, it just shows like if you put them in spec cars, I I feel like that's just going to be the title of the episode, spec cars. Um, But sorry to use this example again, but if you put them all in spec cars right now, equal machinery, Max is still winning this. Yeah. Like, no, no questions asked. He's like on fire. It's insane how laser focused he is and performing at that level can we title this episode a very speckle episode <laughs> oh my god that sound but yeah qual- qualifying yeah. in general i think was really interesting because there was a lot of um a lot of cars kind of out of order like your boy yuki nick yeah, who's quite quietly having a fantastic season. Granted, his race result in this got a little sour at the end. He went from P nine to P fifteen or something. We got old Yuki back for a moment, and it oh, was we glorious. did definitely. I wanted to talk about that because it was like I forget the words <laughs> yeah. exactly that he said, but it's basically like, "Are you trying to kill me out here? You, you want know, me like, to lose? Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to crash me out? Oh, yeah, crash sorry. me out. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was. Oh, man, he's he's golden. He's like a Kimmy. He's essentially Kimmy on the radio with like more. He's more anger. animated. I didn't, I didn't yeah. want to just stop at the anime portion and then be like, oh, you're racist. But no, he's definitely more animated. He has personality and he gives us these moments now where less is more. Less often he does it, the more often we celebrate it when it actually happens because he's been very competent. And not only that, that narrative around Nick DeFries running circles around him. 
I'm not hearing that at all because DeVries hasn't scored a single point yet. And it almost seems like DeVries peaked too early. Or didn't ever have that high of a peak, which which is saying I mean, something because actually... Yuki's five foot six and Yuki's dwarfing over him like this. <laughs> dwarfing over him is a funny way to say that. Um, but I, I think Yuki's having a hell of a year. Like he's really, I, I know it's maybe feels more impressive because considering he's being compared to Nick DeVries, who's having a terrible year. Um. But he really is like his his racing has gotten better, his tire management has gotten better, his communication, granted when it's not screaming at the guy, um, has gotten like his race awareness or whatever you want to call it, uh, has gotten a lot better. It's I I, I can see them keeping him for a while if he keeps this up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's super exciting, too. Like, I can't imagine, uh, you know, uh, an Aston Martin Honda without, uh, you know, Lance Stroll in it. I figure Lance Stroll's got a permanent seat in the sport, but it would be really cool to see Yuki and Alonzo with Honda in like four years kind of like tying everything back together full circle for both of them in a, in a roundabout way, I guess. No, and it's funny you mentioned Stroll because I think this is us ramming him into this episode the way he rams certain drivers on the track. <laughs> but we are truly seeing the limits of nepotism because he's driven decently, all things considered, if we're just looking at it from a points perspective. But that was as atrocious of a drive as I've ever seen a Formula One driver have in my relatively short watching career. And I would not be surprised if Lawrence Stroll is like, you know what? I actually want to win this because Fernando is probably putting on the most impressive driving display done by a driver not named Max Verstappen. I need to give him some sort of help. Because the only way I could see Lance Stroll helping Fernando Alonso is if he somehow takes out both Red Bulls. And given his current form, I'm not going to put it past him. Like anything is possible with the Green Bull. I'm glad you mentioned the nepotism thing because, like, I don't care if you're you're buying your seat in Formula One with a hundred million dollars. There's not a team on earth that would keep a driver performing at Lance's level for this long. So let me ask it's, you this: If roles are reversed, if Nick DeVries and Lance Stroll swap seats, would Lance Stroll? have gotten a point out of that Alpha Tauri the way, or rather the way Nick DeVries has not. Because I think he would at least get him a point because that to me is the sliding scale right now. What do you mean? Nick DeVries is the... The worst driver on the grid. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't think... Sargent is not that far behind, sadly to say. <sighs> that, that really pains me to have an American in F1 be so bad. Uh, are finally having an American back and him be so bad. Um, but going back to Stroll, I, I don't think he's as bad as Nick DeVries has been performing lately, but feels a bit unfair because we have such a longer track record. So like even a special squirrel gets a nut sometimes. Um, like he's had a, a few really good wet performances and stuff. In, but like, I guess Turkey, maybe you know? is that why we're kind of vilifying him for his race this time? Because usually if to your point, Todd, there's rain, it turns him into a competent driver. He's like a plant that way, where if you add water, he gains life. 
Well, let's see what his scores are so far. So he's gotten a P6, a P4, a P7, P11, and three DNFs. Zeros. But I think two of those DNFs are his fault. Um, at least uh, the crazy thing I think is like if you compare it to so I'm not going to say it's this car is as good as that but like the 2018 to 2020 Mercedes when Lewis was dominating mm-hmm. v- Valtteri was right there with him like if Lewis wasn't winning it was usually Valtteri so if Lance Stroll was good in any shape or form he would be like much close. He what he sh- should theoretically be P four in the championship, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know what the the pecking order is for drivers right now, but he's, um, he's eighth right, right now. He's eighth right now. Yeah. So so yeah. Just a like devil's advocate there. The interesting thing about Stroll, and I th- I think your your point is I think you're right. Nobody else would have the the forgiveness, you know. Um, that he has had he i can't remember his first year but like 2017 maybe 2018 what is he so that's six seven seven seasons he's working on now um i might be off a year but like it's it's no, close to that right, right? 20, 2017 2018 and no i remember worries. like he was like maybe a, a 11th or 12th that first year or second year and it was like oh shit maybe he is going to be good and then it was like He's like 15th, 16th, whatever, 18th. Then he jumped back up to around 10, 11, 12. But to your point, like, I I think that's an interesting way to look at it that, that a lot of people probably don't take into consideration. Like teams don't, teams aren't looking at like this guy improving, right? Lance Stroll has become a much better driver, but like you could put me in a formula one car. I'm going to suck, but give me eight years of doing it and I will be a better driver. So like, you know, like that is kind of a mute point in my opinion, right? Like anybody should be better with the training and technology and the, the greatness that they're surrounded by. Right. Like the thing, the thing that I I don't think a lot of people think about is the, the fact that you have like these, these cars should be, they shouldn't be separated hardly at all by the driver's skill. Like that shouldn't be something that any team even has to think about. Right. Yeah. You're going to have the new, the newcomer that doesn't have experience. The rookies are always going to, the you know, first and second year guys are always going to put more cars into the wall. They're going to have more problems. It's a learning curve for them when they're young. But like, if you've got three, four seasons in formula one and you're in arguably the second best car on the grid, there's no reason why you shouldn't be, in the top five, every single race, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what the expectation should be from any team. You know, obviously there's going to be an exception with Stroll and and having his dad involved and owning, the, owning Aston Martin and owning the team and all that. But like, but like even starting the race in P5, right? Yeah. 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 Well, like, point, yeah exactly. <laughs> he's not even qualifying in like the top five. He's P7 to P10, like every, every race so far. By the way, just for a career retrospective on the aforementioned Lance Stroll, in his first season, he finished 12th, 
Second season finished 18th. Then he switched over to Racing Point, aka the what you call it's um, pink Mercedes. The pink Mercedes. Thank you so much. Where he was 15th in his first season, he was 11th in his second season, and then the Aston Martin era, he's gone in 13th as well as 15th. So he's never really hit the top half of the grid. He's gotten very close, but to your point, if he didn't have the dollar sign in his name where the dollar sign replies, uh, replaces the S in Stroll, then yeah, I don't know if we get a long enough runway for us to figure out, is he good? Is he not good? And is this a season that that really like is that, like there's no denying that Aston Martin, not even Aston Martin, this is the best car he's ever driven in in his entire 100%. F1 career. So, yeah. you know, if he doesn't have... If he's not held to that standard like other drivers, you know, it kind of becomes obvious that the choice is just, you know. No, but then it also kind of tells us what the ambitions of arguably the fifth most powerful man, if I'm remembering the list that Iron Trav had given Todd, is he just wants his son to be in the limelight. doesn't matter how good or how bad he is, because if Lawrence Stroll was serious about winning, that... His son is at best their reserve driver. And even then, that's a bit of a ask to keep him on and keep him on the payroll in that situation. Okay, so let me throw a hypothetical out there then. Todd, you own the team. Rowett and I are your drivers. Get rid of me, Todd. <laughs> no, Rowett Ro 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 has been on the podium the first five, six races of the season. I may not land on the podium. But you're guaranteed that I will take out three to four other cars every race. Do you keep me on? No. Question. In this hypothetical, is Nick your son? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yes. Because here's the other point. I get how you frame that, Nick, and brilliant. But if Lance Stroll or if Lawrence Stroll cares about his son the way a father should care about his son, he should not buy into that hype. You're like, no, we're going in self-preservation. I mean, in theory, I agree with both of with what you're both saying. And if you take out the father son relationship out of that equation, I think a lot of a lot of teams. Would with with the exception of, you know, Red Bull and Mercedes, I think a lot of teams would rather have one great driver and a mediocre driver than to have two great drivers that are constantly fighting. But it's not been much of a fight. I mean, say I disagree. Okay, go Tom. Like literally, just look back a couple years. Hamilton and Terry. Like they were both five years, right? Weren't they together five years? Yeah, long run. They dominated the constructors that entire time. Granted, it was like a. It's not like having a. A 1A, 1B situation where they have like in Ferrari, maybe where it's a little closer, uh, closer match. Like Valtteri was definitely second fiddle that entire time. But I think every team on the grid would take that situation over having uh, a Max and a Lance. You know what I mean? See, I think that I think that situation is very, very unique, though. Right. Because Valtteri was never really pushy about any of that stuff. Like like. Look at the George comment, right? That's a great example. The, the, he was. Neither. I feel like that's revisionist history. He, really? You remember? Yeah. Talk about he it. He said, like, 
God, what race was that? Was that Spain 2020? I'll look it up. You keep talking that, what the anecdote is. No, it, it's not going to be a thing that you're going to look up probably. But Valtteri pushed back. Not like in a rude way or like a, like a you know, Max or Lewis whining on the radio type of way. Um, but he definitely pushed back when they made decisions to like let Hamilton buy. See, my, my and maybe it, maybe I am just thinking of it differently, but like my memory is him not pushing back until those last couple of years where it was like, hey, Lewis has already won all these races. I've now won a few. Like, I shouldn't have to be taking these team orders the way that I did three, four seasons ago when it when it, you know, it probably did make sense at that point. Nothing. against Maybe Valtteri. not at the start. Great, you could be right. You could be right. Where I think Maybe like, I'm thinking like, more recently. like George and Lewis right now is really interesting to me. Right. Like that, that kind of, you know, I don't know that all that stuff turns me off. And like, I know we all have everybody that watches formula one has their biases towards which drivers they love and which drivers they'll, right. they hear in a negative tone, no matter what they say. But like, I look at like, you know, like Red Bull right now, Yes, it's great that both of them are going to be up front. But like, I don't know. Is it is it good to have like two guys that are actually like at the top of the field on the same team in the best car where, you know, we 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 as fans see the frustration from Checo or hear Max complain about Checo, you know, because like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, I guess. But I guess let me ask you guys this. Relatively new to the sport, so I'm going to preface it this way. The example I always go back to in terms of two competitive drivers helping a team win is Mercedes in the Rosberg year, right? Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, were they one and two that year? Mm-hmm. But in a way, yeah. like, I would make the argument that Nico Rosberg had the ultimate, like, we talked about Michael Jordan having the perfect retirement because apparently Washington never happened in a lot of people's eyes, but... Rosberg gets the title off Lewis and then retires. And that is probably the only red mark in an otherwise sterling silver career for Lewis Hamilton. And he's never going to be able to live that down. So in a way, it seemed like Botas was the perfect replacement for Rosberg in the sense that he was never going to challenge Lewis that way, based on what you guys have said. And now if we're utilizing what I think is probably the most competitively balanced team in the sport and competitively balanced in the sense that their team is letting them race in Ferrari. I don't think Ferrari's issues stem on the drivers being as competitive as they are with one another. No, they're just all fuckwits. (laughs) I mean, I can't believe it. Since you mentioned Ferrari, like they had, they botched pit again in a rainy Monaco. Like how, a time. How? I mean, at this point, if they don't botch anything, that leads us more to a surprise. Like that's why I've become a fan of theirs because of their Stockholm syndrome in terms of ineptitude. But don't you think that like Charles is gonna go elsewhere? Like he's gonna. But where would he go realistically? Is he gonna go to Red Bull? Because he he's yeah, not why not? Gonna... I'll tell you why not. Because they're not gonna let him compete against Max. I actually have to commend Horner for letting them at least this year. I don't think it's been true every year, but I feel like he actually is letting them race kind of with almost like a a sly wink a little. Yeah. Like 
he's not going to step in until he has to. But if they win the constructors by 800 points, like you said, they're going to score 800. Let, they're going to score 800. Let's. Oh, whatever. Okay, sorry. <laughs> They'll win it by 400. Then thank sorry. you. Thank you for your mathematician um, skills. By like quote unquote letting them race, it, it's he'll be happy as a clam. Like he knows Max over a course, uh, like a over a twenty three race season is going to win a beat Checo. We we know that he's a higher caliber of driver, so he can let them race. And as long as they're not running into each other, a la Danny Rick and Max at Monaco in twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, whatever that was, um, they're not going to have an issue. Because like Max in racecraft will beat the hell out of Checo. Right. But in a way, I feel like for this next stage of Max's career, he needs to find his Valtteri Bottas, which is a guy that is competent, that is going to get second place consistently, and isn't going to ruffle too many feathers. I think Checo has a little bit more Ero in him, in a sense, the dog in him, as the kids say. (laughs) And he has bit back at Max. But... I don't think Checo's long for this Red Bull world if he continues down this road. So I also want to utilize this opportunity to ask you both this. Let's say a seat opens up at Mercedes. Would Charles Leclerc take that? And who would go in that situation? It would be Hamilton retiring. You think so? He's got carte blanche until he decides to retire. Yeah. I don't think he retires. The, like, I don't think he retires this year. I think he goes another year or two and, and then retires. But I don't think he leaves Mercedes. Because in my mind, I'm led to believe that Charles Leclerc is a top tier driver. Whether I agree with it or not, that's another topic for another show. But I don't know where he can go. I mean, I don't think he he really has an option to go anyplace either. Like, if... If he goes to Red Bull, so the thing, your example with with Max is really interesting. The only way that 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 can happen is if it's a younger driver, right? And it has to be a competent younger driver. So like it, it's going to be, you know, somebody that is midfield and and lower that has had enough experience to go sit in a Red Bull car because they know they're not going to win, but they're going to they're going they know they're not going to win a championship, but they know that they'll get actual race wins. By doing it, that's no, yeah, uh, like uh, uh, Alex Albon for me is what I think they're grooming him to be. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that Albon is is kind of like an anomaly in that he's already had the experience with Red Bull, and you know, like he does have the potential to to like really be great if one of the teams like levels up. Right, that's the thing. Like, I think the interesting thing about Ferrari right now. And they're like blunders is that it really does leave a lot of opportunity. Same with McLaren, right? Like McLaren's kind of just like fallen into that lower half. And to me, that just leaves it wide open for somebody like a Williams or whomever to like step in and step up. Not saying that that's likely because obviously a lot of this stuff takes a lot of work, but I did see that. uh, Was it, did you share it in the discord? But like, uh, I think McLaren, just signed a uh, one of the Red Bull oh, engineers, yeah, actually, right? yeah, which is a big shout deal. Out Iron Trev for the first third time. Uh, he posted that. Um, Tom, forget his name. Yeah, Holland? McDonald. No, that's that shitty rapper. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom, somebody from Red Bull. He was uh, one of their chief technical guys. 
Um, Tom Pages? No. <laughs> Tom DeLong. Uh, I can't remember his name. Tom somebody. Um, he was one of the chief technical guys for a long time. Uh, I don't think he's like a... It's not like the second coming of Adrian Newey, but it is an interesting signing. But it also kind of signals, since we're on the McLaren topic, that they're in like full rebuild mode. Yeah. Like... But how did they, that make you feel, though, if you're Lando? Because I think if there's somebody else that needs a change of scenery at this point, it might be Lando. Yeah, uh, that's actually a really good point. I think he'd be more likely to to get looked at for a Mercedes seat than than Leclerc would because he's got that, uh, you know, live or die by the red kind of yep. vibe about him uh, being Monegasque and all. Um I, I think Lando, even though they're having a, a terrible year at McLaren, he's still consistently performing the best that he probably can in the car that he has. Right. Like uh, Piastri is, I, I think, I feel like the jury's still out on him. He's had some really bad performances, rookie mistakes and stuff. Also some Lance Stroll like contact but I feel like Lando hates his life right now because he's only gone backwards since he joined McLaren. Um, I, I think his first two years with signs were great. It's just he hasn't been able to build upon it now that he's the lead person because for all of our Daniel Ricardo love, what was the thought process? That that was going to be a more question of when and not if uh, Danny Rick was going to be a secondary driver. Mm. My my heart will not allow me to admit that. That's okay. I'm, still, I'm not asking you to still do that. that. That's very rude of me to do that to you and your one true love. Um, yes. But so at the, uh, the thing about... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> this is a total tangent. But this reminded me, like, we need to start doing a meme of the week section of uh, of this podcast because the most savage thing... Danny Rick was in Monaco as the reserve driver for Red Bull. And they were doing a bunch of content of them, like racing RC boats and hanging out with Kylie Minogue and stuff like that. But like they did some behind the scenes and Danny Rick pulled up the sloth from ice age and said, this is Max's celebrity lookalike. And that's the, if you look at it, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Like talk about an absolutely savage burn. Like that was the funniest Sorry, I had to call that out because that just reminded me of it. <laughs> Danny Rick, you just won. Can you make that the cover yeah. art for this episode and call it a very speckle episode like I had alluded to earlier? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Okay, so going back to the McLaren thing, I saw today that their you know, big upgrades are coming, what, two races from, from now, like basically mm-hmm. early July or something. That the one thing about McLaren that I think, you know, they don't have a track record of like really improving a car with these big upgrades, right? But I I do think that this year they were very brutally honest about, hey, this is like not our best work that we're giving these guys to start the season. So do you think that there's any chance that Lando? I mean, Lando's still clearly like the, you know, the lead driver on the team. Do you think there's any chance that he jumps up with those upgrades 
or is it one of those things where everybody else is moving forward equally as fast? No matter no matter what best foot they put forward, the rest of the teams are already steps ahead and are going to continue to be. Uh, like, I feel like they have an easy out, right? I, I don't look at it like if the uh, like. It's like, I don't know, as a McLaren fan, it's a little it's rough, hard to be like, oh, yeah, like we'll let them off the hook because they were brutally honest up front at the beginning of the season. Like we didn't we didn't understand the car until right now. Um, it's like, OK, well, what the hell were you doing on the whole offseason? Because everybody else made pretty significant advances, even like, well, actually not everybody, but AlphaTauri, I guess their car is dog shit. Williams is at least fast in a straight line. Um, but then they have all these upgrades that they're talking about. And if it's right, they're like, oh, good job. Like, you know, we did it right. But if it's wrong, they're just going to be like, oh, well, that was James Key's design. So, yeah, we'll get we'll get it on the next one. You know what I mean? So it feels a little uh, you can't weight it correctly, I guess. But I don't think even if they make it a significant improvement that's going to take them from what like p16 p15 to p12 yeah i don't think that's going to put lando in the points consistently maybe fighting for although like shout out to them partially due to the chaos of the race they both scored points and they were quicker than the dog shit alpha terry i was gonna say was that so far in this somewhat young season their best performance as a group i think so yeah yeah with a terrible livery what do you think nick was it a good livery i mean i i so i don't like the livery just because i love the the blue and orange to me is it gets no better i know they're not full-on golf you know sponsored cars but like that is one of if not my favorite liveries in all of motorsports um i do like the idea of doing a livery for like the triple crown since they do race in Indy. I think that's something that is just missing from formula one. Like you spend billions of dollars every year and you run the same exact car, every single race color, you know, like livery wise, like, you know, I would love to see the teams get crazy with it. You know, like, I don't know if you guys have watched any like sports car racing, but a lot of the teams will do like, full full blown art cars where they work with an artist like you know it's done i mean yeah like futura did cars for bmw right like you know uh jeff coons did car- like just a lot of modern you know artists did deliveries on particular cars not all those cars necessarily raced le mans or anything but like there's been tons of cars that that te- or teams that ran, you know, normal sponsors. And, and I know like some of the teams have done that. Like I would love to see Red Bull go back to the, to the Japan, you know, livery oh, that God. they did. Like that white base car was so beautiful. Good. And so I just good. love that. Like, you know, I love that they did that. I wish they would have do it more. Even the pink cars, you know, like I, I like the pink, you know, from uh whatchamacallit. So like, I think that I understand what they were trying to do. I don't think there's enough of a crossover between racing right now. Like the first, the first team that actually figures that out, like, yes, racing teams have, have cars and race in different, you know, sanctioning bodies or whatever. Right. McLaren races in Indy, 
McLaren races in Formula One. You know, all these all these companies have places where their cars race and their teams race, but they don't have consistent fan base across the teams. And to be honest, I think that is like one of the biggest opportunities in all of motorsport because if you fall f- in love with a team and a, and a, and a livery and like, you know, the characters that we're now getting to see thanks to social media and, you know, with formula one, thanks to Netflix and all this, like i like McLaren because I like Zach Brown. Like, like he is, he's one of my favorite people out there, you know, like he's not like anything super entertaining, like a Danny Rick or, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that, but he's genuine and he's super passionate about motorsports. He's not, mm-hmm like a McLaren only, you know, like uppity kind of person. And I think that's something that's appealing to a a broad audience of people. And potentially that, like, especially if you look at like, you know, like think about how many people watch NASCAR, right? Like I'm never going to be like a diehard NASCAR fan. I'll tune in for the big ones once in a while because I don't have anything else to do maybe. But like the more I see liveries and more I see like, bubble uh yeah bubble wallace in the in the jordan's livery right like that or what's his name what's the other guy that not bubble wallace i don't know but it's a 23 xi team yeah like the michael jordan's team right the more i see that i'm like oh that would be cool to see on a formula one car right like we we would we would be more into both of the, the races and the teams if we started to see that more and i think that's something that it's challenging about motorsports because you always have to go get new sponsors. You always have to change it up and you always have to like, you know, kind of rebuild every season to a certain extent all the way from, you know, from the ground up on the marketing side, right? Like you'll have legacy partnerships, but like I'm looking at posters on my wall and like, you know, the cars that are on the wall, like half the brands, half the sponsors that are on the cars are gone, you know, like they're not even around anymore. And and we've talked about it in previous episodes, but the livery idea I think, I think Monaco, it, it plays into not to, not to go back to the original point, but it plays into the the idea. And another reason why I think your idea of like having a spec car for Monaco specifically is a great idea is because then it would give people the opportunity to get creative with it. You know, like imagine if you just saw 20 cars out there, all of them with like, you know, crazy different, you know, like let let the like creative people on the teams express themselves or let the artists that they are connected with, you know, like Lewis dropped uh, an entire line of, you know, merch with Mirakami. And like, that would be an amazing, you know, like to see like one of those cars done up in Mirakami art would be amazing to me. I hope that, I hope that they start doing more of it, to be honest. So. And I think the yeah. long, go ahead, Todd. No, uh, sorry. I was just going to shoot down everything Nick just said. Please do. You do it so well. <laughs> No, cool. I just That's I why actually, I love you, Todd. I have to Lighting. I have to be the naysayer on this one because from my point of view, like thinking of McLaren's involvement in Indy, and it's different for every race series, but I actually I love when they do like the art cars or the special editions. So I'm not saying that's a bad a bad idea. i I wish they did that more in Formula One. Like it pains me. You mentioned the paint car. Uh, for BWT sponsorship with Alpine, like that's such a pretty car, and then they go to that weird bubble yum blue and pink, like whatever the hell. I, I don't like that car at all. But um, I I don't necessarily care what they do, but it has to be consistent because one thing I super hate about watching IndyCar, and I've been watching IndyCar as much as I can this season, just because like 
sorry, F1 fans, the the racing is better in IndyCar. It just is. Um, but they they have McLaren. I think has three cars on the grid this year, and they're all different. So like, there's a black car. I think Alex Palou or not uh, Paddle Award. Shout out to him for crashing out of a potential win at Indy 500. Um, uh, he's in a black car. Uh, Alex Pillow's in like a blue car, and then another person's in an orange car. So home away, and it doesn't. Yeah, they don't. There's no consistency across any of the the teams there. And again, like you mentioned, NASCAR. There's teams that have two or three cars on the grid, and they're all different. I feel like it's. And I hate to support Red Bull in their in their livery woes, but like they need that consistency. Because if you see a Red Bull car in WEC or any kind of sports car racing or the junior categories or Formula One, any place they race in, it's always that same livery. Yeah. Right. And that's why stuff. like you, you mentioned the golf livery. That's why it's so iconic is because that was like across the board in every racing series when golf was doing huge sponsorships, like they all ran that livery. So do the art cars, but just keep it consistent across all of your race teams to make it iconic. Like the BMW art cars you mentioned, Mm -hmm. or just art cars in general, those were iconic for two reasons. Like granted they were working with a really big artist at the time, but then they also raced it across like all the series that they were participating in. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, the teams that were around that did that were also very consistent, right? Like the Yokohama teams that, that run ran BMWs for all those years, right? It was like black, red, and white. You knew those teams, you knew, like if you followed any of the racing, like you knew they were connected. I do agree with you. Like the Indy, like the McLaren Indy stuff. Like, I think that there's ways that like, I think it's actually more traditional for Indy and NASCAR to have different liveries, right? Because NASCAR, they're just like, if we're sponsored by M&Ms, you're seeing M&Ms on the car right. and we're going to go get Home Depot to sponsor our other car. Like, that's just how they work. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. But I think with with Indy, they've kind of always had like this weird in between of like the colors are kind of similar, but not quite enough for people to know. But I also think that the fan base was is really used to having those those like different looking cars because no two cars really look alike. Right. And I think that's the that's the missing piece, right? They need somebody to come in and say, okay, like I want to see a McLaren in the, the black and orange and blue, but the nose is going to be all blue and the nose is going to be all orange and the nose is going to be all black or whatever piece that is, right? That allows you as a fan to look and quickly determine who it is without knowing the number, you know, the, the car itself or whatever. And I think that's just a, a branding mistake on their part for Indy, but like, you know, my hope is that they actually figure out this kind of connectivity of the, of the different, you know, racing bodies too, because it would just, it would turn into something really interesting in my opinion, you know, like kind of to your point about golf, right? Like it it was on everything from street cars to, to race cars for decades. So I think that's kind of the Red Bull's done that too. Like you start to see it in the, in the Honda scene, right? Like you see all these guys wrapping their cars and like Red Bull livery. And it's like, dude, it's freaking, you know, 2003 civic you know like i mean <laughs> go for it but like it's you know i it 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 sticks you know people remember it you know but i wish i had more that feels like a jab at your honda fandom yeah i was gonna say are you i mean 
you do you guys have to realize how torn i am about honda and formula one and red bull like i am a diehard honda driver owner fanboy all through through and throughout but like i'm also a big lewis fan you know i'm a big mclaren fan so like i that's honestly why i've had a hard time being on the podcast now that we've got to it (laughs) i don't know who to root for Root for yourself, Nicholas. Root for yourself. Mixed emotions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I hear you. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point about like NASCAR or whatever. But Indy specifically, like their 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 deliveries are just terrible. It's like a green car with sponsor stickers on it. It's no. It's yeah. not a design. Actually, that Argentinian guy. He was like a rookie this year. Sorry, we totally just turned this into an Indy. In the podcast. Hey, we need practice. It's okay. But he raced um, for the first time in Indy this year, and his livery on his car was like the Argentina soccer jersey. It was sick. It was awesome looking. So they just keep it simple, but do iconic things. Yep, I agree. I'm right. not a skateboarder, but I went to my local shop and they had the Argentinian Amazing. Diego Maradona deck. So I bought it. Oh, <laughs> that's super dope. That's yeah. sick. Um, I think it's about that time. Do we talk fantasy? Let's talk fantasy. Let's do it. All right. Bro, you want to go, go over the... I can do that. Um... The, the podcast, the podcast, league, a.k.a. the road, Malho- the assassination of road, Malhotra's credibility league. Uh, let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> so I don't know where we last did any sort of recap, but I will start off with the fact that in Monaco, our number one placer was somebody who scored a whopping seven points in their first race week. But now he has come back to the realm of mediocrity. That's one wrote Malhotra. I scored 53 points, which is a high for me. In second place was young Toddsworth with 46 points, followed by Nick with 42, Aaron in 40th. And then for Trevor, a rare last place finish. Trevor, it gets easier the longer you stay down there. So I would advise you just throw the rest of the season. <laughs> But speaking of the rest of the season, or rather the culmination of the season thus far, in last place, we have myself with a whopping 191 points, followed by Nick, who has 224 points. Then we have a three-point difference between third and second, with Todd having 252 points and Trevor having 265 points. And really, it's Aaron and the Max Verstappen, so they have 297 points. That is crazy. Like, it's crazy in the fact that Max hasn't won every race this season and he's that far ahead of all of us. You well, know what I mean? Like, if Max had won every race so far, he would only be farther ahead. So, I mean, like, look at also the rest of Aaron's team. Pierre Gasly, who's had a, what we'd say, a meh season thus far. Lance Stroll, who, I mean, we've dedicated a, probably 10 minutes to him exclusively this episode. And a surprisingly competent Yuki Sonoda. So, I think... The math be math in the sense that Max Verstappen is truly the lead dog, but he also has not had a disastrous performance from any of his drivers in the sense that multiple DNFs the way I did in the first week where I had three out of my four drivers not finish the race. I just saw that today and that's I, <laughs> I didn't realize that happened. 
that's rough. That rough like a doggy. But speaking of rough, Nick, where would you like to go with your team? Because I think they've been very competent as well. I mean, I just want to shout out Aaron and Trevor for being a part of this and and keeping keeping people entertained in the Discord. Yeah. On these on these race days, I, and I, you know, I I'll I'll see Aaron this weekend at my brother's birthday. But uh, whoa, whoa, you know, whoa, it's I, Megacast's I, birthday. <laughs> yeah. uh, or Mega yep. Drive. Sorry, I don't know why I call them Megacast. Please get Mega Drive yeah, a Mega birthday Drive, burrito yeah. on my behalf. Yep. Um, I I appreciate that he hasn't been rubbing it in. That's all I have to say about it. That's true. He has been a lot quieter this season about it. Or maybe it's because we text, haven't recorded so frequently. Around. He's forgotten about the podcast. <laughs> we probably jinxed. We probably jinxed him. We'll probably never hear to the end of it now. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Let's talk uh, the Discord Fantasy League. Uh, so for the Monaco Grand Prix in P1, we have the Ferrari Tire Eaters with 220 points. In second, we had Full Send. Uh, with 208 points. And third, we had I Can Has Win with 200 points. And for the overall season results, in P1, we have Michael Shoesmaker. Um, that's that's me. Oh, well, I'm going to brag a little bit. Good job, um, Hotsley. With 800 or 1,852 points. In second, we have Terry Bot Ass with... Uh, 1,782 points. And in third, Sneaky Pete, the Trav Pete, uh, with 1,749. Um, I know, Nick, you're all signs point to Yuki. You're in P6 right now. No, I'm, I'm, uh, what am I? I'm, Wait. uh, the lookalikes. The lookalikes? Oh. Yep. Damn. This whole, yeah. this whole time I've been. I'm way down. Yep. That's not, that's not great. And, uh, the fight no cons, is that you? Yes. Okay, well, you guys are currently battling for P P nine out of twelve. <laughs> okay, I can live with that. Air, I thought I was going to be tethered to the floor with the old ball and chain, but no, that would be Scuderia Ciambella. Donde esta? I really am annoyed that they took away like the names from the F one fantasy league because I don't know who everyone is. Um. But yeah, that's the updates. Lots of racing to come. When is the next race? Is it this weekend? This weekend, this weekend. Spain. Oh yeah, that's. I always forget whether it was this weekend or not because we've had a couple races in a row, and especially with Monza being off the calendar, it's kind of been a welcome break. So uh, not Monza. Is it Mon- what was the track that got canceled? Yeah, yeah Monza. Monza. Uh, yep. Monza. So. I mean, I, I, I'll just say it like I think uh, I speak for a lot of fans in the world. I think it's time Alonzo gets gets his win. OK, yeah, let's do it. Predictions. <laughs> Podium predictions. In Spain. The people will go crazy. So they might burn the country down. So that's your number one. Who's all, two and three all in on good your fun. podium? I mean, it's got, it's got to be, it's got, it's got to be Max and, and Checo. Like, I don't think you can even, there's nobody else that really even comes close besides Alonzo. So. 
Dudley Poo? Oh, that's <laughs> rough. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go Max P1, Alonzo P2, and uh, George Russell with a properly British P3. Max 1, Lewis 2, Georgie Poor G3. Lewis and Ma- uh, Lewis and George on the hey, podium. Listen, wow, they're, they're bringing the upgrades. I'll, I'm all in on the upgrades until I'm not. <laughs> I, I could live with that. Listen, I wouldn't mind seeing Sue and Lewis get a get back on the podium. That would be awesome. Um, I mean, I don't really care. I don't care if it's Logan Sargent. I just want somebody other than. Max to win or Lance Stroll. Let him crash everyone else out and win a race. Do, do we want to call on Julie and ask her if she can jinx Max for the first time this season? <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Hey, Julie, there you go. make it happen. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Any, any final thoughts before we sign off? I think next week we should just do a brief overview of our hot takes and where are they in terms of temperature? Because I feel good about some of mine. Some of yours, not so much. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I I was in a fever dream when I made mine, so. That's okay. Oh, yeah, Lando getting a win. Um, <laughs> hey, Green Bull is best of the rest, though. Yeah, very close to Merck. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about that next week in the Spain Spain race, hopefully, unless we decide to go into a hole for two months again. Let's do it. <laughs> it's very Groundhog's Day. We saw our shadow and decided, no, six more weeks of this silence. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, before we get out of here, let everybody know how they can find you outside of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rohizi, on Instagram at RoadM13. Toddly Poo, where can they find you? On <laughs> Uh, you already used that one. Uh, it's a good one. On Instagram, I'm dadshue.jpg. And Twitter, I'm dadshue underscore F1. And most importantly, uh, the Discord, come scream at, scream in the void with me. You can also find him at OnlyFans at Scream at the Void, where it's just him <laughs> and pictures of his butt. Not OnlyFans, Feet Finder. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's an ASMR, uh, yeah. Formula One scream into the void channel. I just scream, scream, whisper. Strong. Remember when you were a kid and you get so mad you'd scream, whisper. Yeah, that that's it's that. Nikita Mazepin. Oh yeah, <laughs> Jesus. All right, y'all. You can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. But like these guys said, make sure you hit the first link in the description. Join us on the Discord. Join the community, and uh, we'll see you hopefully. On Sunday for the race. Yuki Sonoda. (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Bye, guys.